0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Welcome to Sportbox, here are your headlines. Credit Suisse is expected to post a net income of around 900 million francs in the first quarter. As new CEO Thomas Gottstein releases his first set of numbers amid ongoing pressure due to the spying scandal. Daimler shifts down a gear warning of a near 70% drop in earnings for the first quarter and issuing a gloomy offer for the year after widespread lockdowns wipe out demands. Accor warns April and May are going to be the toughest months after Europe's biggest hotel operator sees revenues fall 17% in the first quarter as the hospitality sector is shut down. We speak to CEO Sebastian Bazin within the hour. And a crude comeback buyers rush back into Brent and WTI, sending U.S. oil prices up as much as 40% in overnight trade, while rising tensions between the U.S. and Iran also support the price. We've got numbers crossing from Credit Suisse and uh, this is uh, one of the banks in Europe that has seen uh, best placed to weather the crisis to the point where there was a big debate with the regulator from the likes of UBS and Credit Suisse but whether they could keep on paying out dividends. In the end they've decided to pay some of the dividend and postpone the rest of it, a more cautious approach. What's now crossing from the company first quarter 2020 financial results, uh, pre-tax income of 1.2 billion Swiss francs that is up 13% on the year. Its uh, net income has uh, crossed at that level of $1.3 billion. That is up 75% year on year. Net revenues of $5.8 billion, up 7%. Q1 return on tangible equity of 13.1%. That is up from 8.6% in the previous quarter. The company's CET1 ratio of 12.1% down from 12.7% at the end of the previous quarter. So still in that 12% range when we talk about uh, the CET1 ratio. T1 leverage ratio at 5.8%. That is up from 5.5% at the end of the previous quarter. So you see that much higher. Also when it comes to liquidity, and that's what we're looking at for a lot of the, the various businesses across the board. So we see the hit from coronavirus. Q1 average liquidity coverage ratio of 100. 82% at the end of the quarter. It's uh, also saying that it expects COVID-19 related uncertainty to persist. Uh, I think uh, most of us also expect that as well. Q1 provision for credit losses has been tallied up at 568 million Swiss francs. I'll just repeat that number because huge focus too as are the US peers reported provisioning in the first quarter those credit losses that they've set aside money for 568 million Swiss francs. Uh, still waiting for any further update on the dividend. Also uh, want to point out that this has been one bank that is part of the support mechanism for the Swiss economy. The news CEO, of course, trying to make his mark after the spying scandal that engulfed the former CEO, Tijan Tiam. But uh, Gottstein has already been praised. He was one of the first Swiss bankers to apparently float the idea of a government private sector rescue package, uh, which, of course, has been rolled out to help many businesses. Jeff, Steve.
0: Yeah, very good morning, Karen. Um, I think these Credit Suisse numbers look terrific, don't they? Particularly when you look at the return on tangible equity up at 13%. That was always a big ambition of Tijan Tiam to move this number uh, up to a double-digit level. And the fact that they're delivering this number at this point, what, just a month or so after Tijan Tiam bowed out, of course, because of that uh, uh, embarrassment over Iqbal Khan and other issues. Um, A shame he's not in the job to actually see that number achieved here. Some other interesting highlights I think you pulled out. Obviously the provisioning at this point we are really looking very closely to see what already the impact of Covid-19 is on the banking sector and I guess it's just worth pointing out that what we have here is a snapshot of earnings that really are a rear view mirror reflection of business as was rather than business as it's going to be as we start to see companies uh, report impaired balance sheets and difficult times because uh, obviously things are only going to get worse here in the short term. Possibly even the medium term. So we'll, we'll need to see a a further update from Credit Suisse in coming quarters as just to what that damage actually looks like, Steve.
2: Yeah, I, I can't say anything different from my overview. Good morning to both of you. Happy St. George's Day. Look, this shares closed at, what, 7.5, 7.7 Swiss francs. Their high of the last five years was nearly at 30 Swiss francs. They've traded, uh, for the most part, under Tijan Tiam at around about 10 to 15 Swissy as well, after the uh, precipitous decline from the earlier heights as well. Uh, and as you say, it's a shame that Tijan Tiam's best numbers are after he's left. Uh, And the problem is, as you say, it is all rear view mirrors. So what are the chances of this stock uh, of the rest of the banking sector having a strong rally now when you talk about support mechanisms for virtually every single sector of the economy uh, and every single sector of the economy is going to be blighted uh, by what we're seeing and what is ongoing as well. It is hard to say a very high beta sector such as banks and investment banks uh, can be purchased at this stage. So for our viewers, it's got be one of those ones where you just have to wait and see and wait for more information I guess.
1: I've got some more forward-looking comments now just crossing from Credit Suisse. I'll just flesh them out. Uh, The bank says it may see further reserve build and impairments in coming uh, quarters, particularly in the corporate bank and other loans outside Switzerland, as well as from their own investments and asset management. So flagging up uh, various areas of the business where they could see that hit. Also, what they were anticipating, a recovery in the advisory and underwriting fees. They say that uh, area may now be limited, uh, at least in the short term, at least until the COVID-19 pandemic eases and the global economy begins to recover. The bank has uh, profitable and resilient operations in the Swiss home market that has historically had low credit loss experience. So as we talk about credit quality, they're just fleshing out how Switzerland stands different to some other places across the globe at this point. They also caution that uh, what they're seeing about that um, advisory part of the business, that recovery, I think that is interesting as investors have penciled in their expectations and are wondering what is gonna happen. Uh, The private banking franchise they say is still stable, contributing significantly to their revenues pre-tax income for the group. They're well prepared to continue serving their clients and believe that they maintain a resilient financial performance throughout the crisis. Uh, So, uh, Jeff, uh, just a a couple more notes about what to expect uh, in terms of the business.
0: Yeah, so a couple of things going on here, I think. I mean, there is an announcement in here that there's a suspension on the buyback until the third quarter. Now, that clearly is about the bank operationally thinking about how it has to manage and conserve its own balance sheet. And perfectly appropriate that we see these kind of announcements here as uh, investors look to see how the management team is negotiating some of the challenges around the cost side of the business. The other thing that I think is interesting over the recent years the job that Tijan T.M. has been most focused on is reducing risk weighted assets and improving the quality stream of earnings and he's done that by moving away from what he sees as volatile capital markets returns and focusing on uh, the returns that you're likely to get from the uh, the private wealth management side of the business and that to me is the interesting question mark here because obviously As we've seen the U.S. banks report, what they've shown is that they have benefited, to a certain extent, those that are involved in capital markets activity from the volatility that we've seen around COVID-19. What's not clear at this stage is what the impact is going to be on wealth management and wealth management related fees. Because right now, it seems to me, apart from those who may be trying to have a more exciting life by dabbling in the oil market, What you do see is a lot of high net worths ultimately just a little frozen in the headlights as they reconsider their portfolio losses currently and how they should think about taking advantage of any weakness that they see in asset prices but for the time being I think as Steve was pointing out there's just a moment where I think you you step clear of the steamroller you let it come by and then you figure out what you do next and obviously fee generation is an important source of income for a bank like Credit Suisse.
1: Yes, and the question is how long and how many quarters the the banks are going to have to weather in terms of uh, weaker earnings. And we're going to be talking more about the outlook for the banks uh, when we're joined later on the show by the CEO of Standard Chartered, Bill Winters, to discuss the impact of coronavirus on the banking industry. That's at 9.30 CET. I know some analysts think we may not see a full recovery in earnings back until 2022, which is a long time frame as we talk about uh, the horizon for banks. Meantime, more short term, uh, we're talking data today. The US unemployment picture is expected to have improved a bit this week. But just at the margin, 4.3 million Americans are estimated to have filed for benefits last week, according to Dow Jones. That's down from 5.2 million the week before. In total, around 22 million people have filed jobless claims in the past month amid the impact of coronavirus. And uh, let's see how U.S. futures are perched ahead of the session. A little bit of green uh, just moving on to those boards. What has been positive for market sentiment yesterday and also ahead of the session today, the news of that relief package that passed the Senate still needs approval by the House of Representatives, but it would bring the tally of funds available to fight the pandemic to more than $3 trillion in recent weeks. And that was significant enough to move Wall Street yesterday. You can see the extent of the gains, 2% on the Dow, more than that extracted for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. NASDAQ, the rally 2.8%. It was curious to see the stocks moving the markets. Uh, For the likes of the Dow, for instance, the stock having the biggest impact was McDonald's. So, investors just casting their eyes a little bit wider from some of the usual suspects. S&P and uh, for the NASDAQ, it was the likes of uh, microsoft having the most positive impact but uh, over the course of this week uh, despite this green we're still tracking weaker we had such a rough start to the trading week with a uh, the plunge in the oil price that rocked confidence and sentiment uh, so what we've got now a recovery trade that is playing out and whether we get back to positive levels for the week after a drop of more than three percent for the dow at this stage that uh, is the big question for investors if we can recover some of that red ink let me show you treasuries this market also very much moved by that risk off sentiment as we started out the week. We've reclaimed the 0.6 level on the 10-year, but still very depressed levels, as you can see on that yield. 0.36 as we move to record lows, two on the five-year yield. I want to show the Asian markets and how they are faring a bunch of PMIs to whether today Asia is uh, in the green. If you look at Hong Kong and also the Japanese stock market, some decent gains there. But in contrast You've got a reversal for the Chinese stock market just below the flatline, and Australia going with it. Uh, the oil markets, well, what a volatile week it has been. Now the levels on WTI, $15.60. We've recovered 13% morning session. Talk about swings like that in the morning session, just extraordinary, isn't it? Over the course of the week, it says done 21% on this chart. But uh, just worth noting, when you've seen that move in oil yesterday, there was a gain of about 20% in session. But uh, clearly, there's been strong moves to the downside this week. Brent back above the $20 handle. We're at 22.79 morning session. That is a bounce of almost 12%. Well, this is how US oil stocks have fared in session. On the back of those gains yesterday, Chevron strong 3.4%. Bigger moves in Occidental Petroleum are one stock that have been hard hit by the route that you saw in the energy space. And some of the smaller names, as you can see also picking up a more appetite uh, for the bounce back uh, diamondback energy and noble energy are uh, the strong gains there along with Halliburton. he had a double digit bounce in that stock u.s oil producers slashed output by 900,000 barrels a day in the last month according to the eia but data from the agency also showed that inventories rose by 15 million barrels a day in the week ending on the 17th of april putting american stockpiles near the record high set in 2017, worries about storage capacity and a collapse in demand helped push crude prices to record lows this week. Well, speaking to CNBC, White House economic adviser Larry Kudlow said oil should rebound as the economy starts to reopen.
0: To no fault of anybody's, uh, this virus has um, pushed us into a big economic contraction. I think in the United States. Uh, uh, Rig count is way down, uh, demand is way down, production is falling. Uh, There's not much we can do about that. The president has asked us to look at some potential forms of assistance. We have a number of options. Uh, Nothing's been decided yet. But it's just part and parcel. There's a lot of deflation out there as we go through this contraction. Uh, My own view
3: is we will come out of this soon,
1: Iran says it has launched its first-ever military satellite into orbit, raising tensions with the U.S. State television showed video of the rocket being fired into space. The Pentagon has not confirmed whether the satellite was operational, but U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo condemned the launch. It comes as U.S. President Trump tweeted he had ordered the Navy to, quote, shoot down and destroy any and all Iranian gunboats if they harass our ships at sea. Earlier this month, the US military said 11 vessels came close to US Navy and Coast Guard ships in the Gulf, causing the moves, or calling the moves dangerous and provocative. An Iranian armed forces spokesperson said the US should focus on saving its military from coronavirus. Coming up on the show, we speak with Dassault Systems CEO Bernard Challez on the company's earnings and strategy amid the lockdown in France. And later, we also hear from the CEOs of software AG, Accor and Brightling. Those are first on interviews coming up on the show. And if you can check out the Squawk podcast for more insight, be sure to do so. You can read about how COVID or hear about how COVID-19 is impacting companies. We'll be right back after this. Daimler has warned first-quarter earnings will sink by as much as 70% with both sales and production under pressure amid the outbreak. In a preliminary set of earnings, the German luxury car maker also revised its outlook for the year, which it now expects to come in lower than in 2019, the year that already saw it issue three profit warnings. Uh, the good news is that the numbers today uh, are in line with their early communicated trend, so that uh, suggests fewer surprises for investors. But uh, of course, uh, I think many investors have reset expectations around the outlook for autos, given the closures in dealerships, the impact of production lines, and uh, then there's the sheer drop off in demand as you see communities across the globe hit by COVID 19. What you've had in the share so it's reflected some of those concerns down 43% this year. Just want to go through some of the EBIT numbers for the quarter, preliminary quarter, quarterly EBIT numbers for the truck business. Uh, that was at it's now 247 million euros. Give you a sense of where it was last year, double those levels at 553 million euros. So it tells you how steep the unwind has been. In terms of uh, the Mercedes Benz cars and vans business, EBIT now at 510 million. That was down from 1.14 uh, billion previously. So a huge drop in these numbers is what you've witnessed. And as a result, uh, that has an impact on the overall cash flows of the business. So, uh, Jeff, the company is still making uh, the moves and saying they are well positioned to manage the business, but a huge hit that's uh, occurred right across the business. Uh,
0: And I think those truck numbers are critical at this point, Karen, because obviously the autos business gives you a snapshot on consumer trends and uh, the behaviour of Purchases, uh, of, of cars and, um, uh, obviously the finance related to that and so forth. But it's the trucks business that I'm particularly interested in because you've got trucks and buses, seven brands under the uh, Mercedes Benz umbrella, if you like, for that business. This is a, this is a a huge operation with over a hundred thousand employees globally. And it's a real litmus test on just how strong economic activity is and how likely it is to rebound strongly at this point so you watch very closely those forward orders on commercial vehicles as companies upgrade their fleet and that gives you a good sense of how much optimism there is within the business community about their own operations going forward and the fact that you report those numbers that show such a cliff-edge decline in uh, the outlook really um, suggests that Right now, uh, Mercedes, uh, sorry, Daimler is taking a, a very sober approach to where it sees economic activity going from here. And of course, uh, not only are these uh, big, big sellers of um, trucks and other commercial vehicles into developed markets, they have a massive business in, in countries like India and other parts of Southeast Asia and the emerging world.
1: Some of the the analyst community now betting on the likes of Tesla again after all the issues we've seen at the company. They think that they might be better positioned than the legacy auto players uh, to race ahead with these trends towards electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, uh, which uh, doesn't shed. Good light on uh, some of the legacy businesses like uh, Mercedes, Daimler, for instance. Let's push on to Dassault Systems also crossing this morning with Q1 results. The company's 2020 non-IFRS financial framework targeting stable year-on-year 2020 non-IFRS EPS of about uh, €3.65. Euros. The company sees its Q2 EPS growth between minus uh, 12 and minus 6 percent. The full year between zero and plus two. The Q2 non uh, operating margin is uh, seen between 25 and 26.5% for the full year, about 29.5. So let's get into the outlook uh, with Bernard Chalet, the CEO of Dasso Systems. Steve also uh, joining the conversation. And Bernard, welcome. Good morning to you. Just give us a sense of what you're battling on the front line with COVID-19 and what the impact will be in the, the second quarter and over the course of the year for you.
3: Well, we are in a in a very specific situation. Six months ago, we invested six billion in the life science sector with the acquisition of Medidata, and as you know, uh, Medidata is uh, is really uh, doing sixty percent of the worldwide clinical trial right now. So it happened that, of course, the profile of Daso System throughout twenty twenty uh, is really focused on. On, on the front line for uh, COVID-19 uh, because of the clinical trial going on, because of the research going on. So it's a kind of counterbalance of um, the manufacturing industry, which has been, of course, slowing down first quarter. will be continuing to slow down, I think, we think s- second quarter. But overall, full year with that new balance of the SOS system, we should be growing at uh, between 12 and 15%.
1: Bernard, it is a significant change in psychology in the C-suite, isn't it? As you had many corporates talk about staying in the game, but that was around digital disruption, trying to keep ahead of the competition with the best systems in place, which meant there was huge demand for your services. But now staying in the game means preserving cash, just staying afloat. How long do you think that will be a theme? And how long will the hit be for your business if you've got companies just trying to sit on cash rather than investing?
3: Well, if you look at the, it's quite interesting to learn what is happening in China in some way because they are on the front, they were on the front wave we we see uh, a, a new slow departure in in China after after the dip in uh, in the first at the beginning of the year of course with the covid-19 uh, but of course that that ramp up will be slow especially in manufacturing in um, in the construction sector it's more related to how people can go back to work uh, I think the construction sector will, will probably uh, be dependent on people uh, going out from confinement, um, and on the life science, of course, is investing a lot, of course, to address this uh, pandemia, which is which is a, a big a big issue. The vaccine uh, will take time, at least eighteen to months to two years, uh, but uh, in the meantime, uh, the production system has to be adapted you know, with uh, social distancing and many things. So the, the virtualization of this is so essential right now.
2: Uh, Bernard, very good morning to you. You just touched upon where I want to go with this, and you talked about the $6 billion uh, metadata acquisition as well. But what progress is being made? I keep hearing from the politicians what is being done, but I want to hear it from a businessman who's in this area as well. Where do you think the most progress is being made? Where do you think the greatest challenges are in overcoming coronavirus?
3: Well, you know, this, 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 this uh, very terrible situation about the pandemia is opening the eyes about the fact that the, the, the life science system at large has been behind in terms of digitalization as compared to manufacturing, if you think about it. Uh, and I think this is this is really accelerating now. I think the research on virus, on vaccine, is a long cycle uh, because this is biologic by definition. Uh, But there is a lot of clinical trial. We have seen the clinical trial uh, expanding by almost a factor of two in the last uh, three months. Uh, uh, It gives some hopes, but I I think there is a, a compression of time that will be difficult to do between uh, below 18 months, at least for the vaccine. Uh, we see some actors, uh, creating very innovative approach. Uh, you've heard about them, uh, and they are using our solutions to really validate that. Uh, it, it's, it takes time, uh, but it's a catalyst for new digitalization of healthcare system, as well as research on development.
1: Bruno, we've got 10 seconds. Why are you still paying out the dividend at this point?
3: Well, it's a very reasonable uh, dividend. We have been doing it for the last 20, uh, uh, 26 years since we did the IPO uh, at a time where Nasdaq was not giving any dividends. So we have uh, have a family ownership uh, as a main uh, position. So we think that uh, with the cash flow that we have, we can afford to do it without exposing the investment we are doing this year.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to
3: CNBC.com.